everybody. Good to see you. Good to have our newcomers with us. Good to have everybody joining us online as well. Hope you can come in person very soon. Not everybody's able to be in person uh, all the time. That's why I'm starting a new Bible study tonight online. Uh, especially, you know, you got kids and all that. You can still do this from home. 6.30. It's going to be for a couple months. Going through four one-chapter books of the New Testament. So send your Sunday summary sheet there on how to sign up if you're at home. Uh, you can go on our website, go to the events section. We'd love to have you join us for that. You know, 15 years ago, right behind me, right in this spot, a man died. It was a man that was going to help start our second campus in Allen Park. His name was Jim. And uh, it was at the beginning of the service and he was leading us in prayer. And toward the end of the prayer, you could tell his words started slurring a little bit. And then it went silent, and everybody waiting for him to say amen. But the next thing we heard was a big thud. He had fallen backwards, collapsed, hit his head on one of the monitors. Uh, the medical people in the crowd jumped up, ran, rushed the stage. We didn't know what was wrong with him. Uh, I came out and, and began leading everybody in prayer. And then I sent everybody out in the lobby. So I keep praying there so they can work on him. They got him back up with some CPR and a defib, and uh, that, that's when the ambulance arrived from across the street. They, they shuffled him over there really quick, and uh, what had happened was that he had had a brain aneurysm. It had burst in his head and killed him, but they did bring him back, it seemed temporarily, because one of the nurses there told me he's not going to make it. But they transferred him downtown. Did a four and a half hour surgery on him. He's fine. Still fine today. So you got to be ready for anything. You know, at church, <laughs> you never know what to expect. This, this actually happened to the Apostle Paul. There was a guy who dies right in the church service while he's speaking. Very bizarre story in his third missionary journey that we've been following him on. If you want to turn in your Bible today, if you're carrying Get it open to Acts chapter 20. We're going to be in verses 2 through 16. If you don't have a Bible like this, you've got a phone. Pull out your phone, go online, go to a place like BibleGateway.com or BibleHub.com or maybe use the YouVersion app, Y-O-U. Download that and I'm going to be reading out of the ESV, the English Standard Version. Invite everybody to read along with me today. So yeah, you never know what you're going to miss if you skip out on church. Something big might happen. Not always necessarily a good thing, but something big. We should come expecting something to happen. That kind of thing doesn't happen all the time. But every week I pray that God do something. I expect something to happen. I expect somebody's life to be affected. I pray for transformation. I pray for healing. I pray for deliverance. I pray for salvations more than anything. I pray for baptisms every week. I expect that to happen every week. So that's why you need to hear this. It's because this is our mission as a church, but it's also our mission globally to lead people to Jesus, but it's also your mission personally. That's why this is important for you today. Plus, as we go through this passage in Acts chapter 20, we're going to get a peek into a rare early church service and see what it was like back then and how we can still do these kinds of church services today now. So, um, Luke is the one writing this in the book of Acts. He is the one traveling with Paul during parts of his journey. We can tell when Luke is there because he'll say us. He'll use the, the first person. Other times when he's not with Paul, he'll talk about them in the third person. But Luke is an amazing historian. He has so many details in the book of Acts, including 
geographical places. So once again, for all of you ancient geography nuts, we're going to put the map up here again so you can recall where we are in this. That's the Mediterranean Sea down on the right side of the map in the yellow at the bottom. You see Judea, the capital of Jerusalem is down there. Um, Paul starts his third missionary journey, you recall, up in Syria on the right in the yellow. You see the city of Antioch. The red line starts there and then traces westward across what was then called Asia Minor, which was a Roman region divided into different provinces. Today that is the nation of Turkey. And you'll recall he travels here and there, town to town, visiting all the churches that he had helped start. He's strengthening them. He arrives over on the west coast in the city of Ephesus there in the pink, in the city, uh, in the region of Asia. That's where the big riot breaks out. Remember that last week? And he has to leave. He gets out of town. He heads north toward the city of Troas. And he's going to pop over west. By pop, I mean sail. He's got to get across the, the ocean, the sea there, into the European continent. The northern section there is called Macedonia. The southern section there is called Achaia. Uh, today we're going to see him start at the top of Macedonia on the left, travel to the south there in Achaia to the city of Corinth there in the green. You with me? <laughs> All right. So let's get into it. Verse 2 of chapter 20. When he, Paul, had gone through those regions and had given them much encouragement, he came to Greece. Now Greece is just another name for Achaia, the southern part of that peninsula. And uh, he's going down through all those churches that he had started, like Philippi, Berea, Thessalonica, going to make his way down to Corinth. Now, really this goes pretty quick. He spends a lot of time, but Luke just doesn't really highlight much, so it's hard to tell with all the sketchy details, but we can kind of fill it in from all the letters he wrote during this time. During this journey, he's writing to the Romans, he's writing uh, 2 Corinthians, he's writing Galatians, and in 2 Corinthians, he refers to all the troubles he's been through, the harassment, the deprivation, the adversity, the suffering. In fact, in 2 Corinthians 7, 5, he says, for even when we came into Macedonia, there at the top, on the left, our bodies had no rest, but we were afflicted at every turn, fighting without and fear within. So Paul was willing to go anywhere, willing to face and endure anything. Um, and besides all that, he says in, in, in that same area in 2 Corinthians, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. So all these churches he helped start, he's going through them again and strengthening them. It's his greatest joy to take care of them, but it's also a very heavy burden on him. But it was worth it because his main purpose was to make disciples. He wanted to go there and win people to Christ and then build them up in Christ. Help them to know Christ, to grow in Christ, to be effective as witnesses, to stay faithful to the Lord. That's the main reason he's doing this, but there's a second reason why he's on this journey, and that is to collect an offering. Yep, he is receiving an offering from all these churches to help the needy, the poor saints way back home on the right side of the map in Jerusalem, the Jewish Christians there. So not only is all this offering money he's collecting going to take care of real need, but it's also going to create this spiritual bond among all the Christians around the Mediterranean, especially between the Gentile Christians, the non-Jewish, and the Jewish Christians back in Jerusalem. So this is going to be a really good thing for them. He says in Romans 15, at present, however, I'm going to Jerusalem. I'm bringing aid to the saints there for Macedonia and Achaia, they have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints back at Jerusalem. 
So he, he's got the money, he's ready to go home, he's going to go back to Jerusalem, he, he intends to sail a straight line across the Mediterranean Sea, but forced to have a change of plans in verse 3. It says, there he spent three months, so he's, he's uh, at the top of Europe, he's ready to cross and, and sail back home. Uh, I'm sorry, he's still in Corinth, he's way down south. Here's what he's going to do. He's going to sail home, but he's got to wait three months. Why? Because winter months, so it's dangerous to sail. But then something else pops up. This plot. A plot was made against him by the Jews as he was about to set sail for Syria. He decided to return through Macedonia. So instead of being able to sail back home, he decides, well, I'll evade them, these unbelieving Jews who are trying to shut him down, shut him up, probably assassinate him, probably rob him, take all this offering money. So he says, I'm not going to sail, I'm going to go, I'm going to travel back by land northward, back the way I came through Macedonia, and then I'll cross over. So, um, verses 4, he's not alone. Sopater, the Berean, son of Pyrrhus, accompanied him, and of the Thessalonians, Aristarchus and Secundus, and Gaius of Derby, and Timothy, and, uh, and the Asians, Tychicus and Trophimus. So, hey, just a little bonus tip here if you're an expectant parent looking for some great baby names. There's just a wonderful list right there you can check out. But, you know, Paul usually is not alone on these trips. This time he's really got kind of a big posse. He's got quite a team with him. Guys who are representatives of all the churches that he's been to. Why? A couple reasons. One is protection. He's carrying a lot of money. So there's going to be a lot of thieves. So having a bunch of guys around you, going to get it back to Jerusalem safely. But secondly, for accountability for integrity. You want to make sure that not, you know, we're handling these funds that everybody donated with absolute integrity. So that, that's the guarantee is all those guys being around him. That's a really good uh, practice to have, right? Verses 5 and 6. These guys, they went on ahead and they're waiting for us. So here Luke is with him now finally. At Troas. So they're at the very top of the map on the left. But we sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread, and in five days we came to them at Troas, where we stayed seven days. So understand, back up on the map, you got um, Philippi on, on the European continent, and then just a little blip across the sea, and you get into Asia Minor, Turkey, into Troas. Now, Luke has been hanging out in Philippi for about five years. He gets to join Paul finally on the last leg of his journey and gets to go home to Troas where he's from. So it's a big homecoming for Luke, which is a cool thing. Uh, remember how I said Luke skipped over a lot of stuff? This has been a year since the time he left Ephesus and traveled all the way over and down and back up again. It's been a year because he left there right after the Feast of Unleavened Bread. What's that? Passover. And now it's a year later and it's after Passover again. He's going to rendezvous with his team. They're in Troas. And here, the next verse is really important because he's going to hang out in Troas so he can go to church. And we're going to see what an early church service looked like. Verse 7. On the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with them, intending to depart on the next day. And he prolonged his speech until midnight. All right. A lot of questions I have. When did they gather? First day of the week. What day is that? Sunday. They were meeting. Why is that important? Because Jews had always worshipped on what day? Saturday, the Sabbath, right? One of the Ten Commandments. What is it that caused all these Jewish people to stop worshipping on the Sabbath and switch to Sunday? Something really big happened on a Sunday. 
Easter, right? It honored the resurrection. It was also the day the church was born. And Acts 2 was on a Sunday. And so in Revelation 1.10, John says, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. And we know that was Sunday because all the church fathers, we call them the church fathers, the ones who came after the age of the apostles, they all refer to the Lord's day as Sunday. So um, should, we, should we worship on Sunday or Saturday? Well, the precedent is not to worship on Sunday. In fact, Colossians 2.16, Paul writes, Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. All right? So, we don't worship on the Sabbath. We worship on Sunday. Now, there are some who are still what we call Sabbatarians who say, no, we're, as Christians, we're supposed to worship on Saturday. We would call them legalists. We would call them Judaizers. Uh, but no, that is not what we are told to do. Uh, we are now worshiping on the Lord's Day, Sunday. We're not under all those rules about the Sabbath, right? Uh, generally speaking, though, society pretty much used to respect Sunday as the Lord's Day, right? Everything closed down. There weren't people going out, you know, there weren't a lot of people working on Sundays. Nobody's going out shopping. Nobody was doing sports stuff. Everybody honored the Lord's Day. Now it's who? It's what? Chick-fil-A. That's about the only one that honors the Lord's Day, it seems like, anymore. Everybody's working and playing and doing all this and that. And uh, I think that's sad that we have lost that in our society. Now, again, this is not a command that we have to meet on Sundays. It's the precedent. In fact, in the early church, the very first Christians were meeting every day in the temple courts. Now, I don't know that that was all Christians every day, but every day there were like church services going on at the temple court. Now, I understand today that other churches like to do that. They like to have services on other days. And I don't mean like additional churches to services to Sunday. I mean, they have their Sunday services on some other day of the week. You say, well, didn't we used to do that? Yeah, we had a Saturday service. But the question here is, is Paul using Roman time or Jewish time? Because if it's Roman time, then it's like our time today. Sunday is Sunday. But if he's using Jewish time, then the day started at sundown. So the Sabbath actually started Friday night through dusk on, sun, on Saturday. The first day of the week began dusk on Saturday and went through till dusk on Sunday. So as they're meeting on the first day of the week, it could have been actually Saturday night or it could have been Sunday night. Hard to tell, but here's the thing is I'm not willing to lose Sunday as the first day of the week. Uh, you can do other kinds of classes and groups and meetings on the other days, but let's not lose Sunday by saying, well, instead of going to Sunday church, go to Tuesday night church or Wednesday night church or Thursday night church because there's something special about the Lord's Day for the last 2,000 years. I think we ought to still honor that. It's not wrong to have it on some other day. In fact, they say, well, if we, we're just adding another day, another option. Yeah, but won't we end up with so much stuff going on on Sundays now? Everybody going to sports games and shopping and this and that and working. Everybody will shift to another day of the week. You say, well, that'll never happen. Of course it will. It's human nature, right? We want to go to the service that's most convenient. And eventually Sunday won't be very convenient anymore. Right? So I, we're always going to have the first day of the week. That's when. Where did they gather? Now that's more up for grabs because in the early church, uh, they didn't have church buildings. So sometimes they met in homes. Sometimes they met in the temple court. Sometimes they met in synagogues. Sometimes they met in the school of Tyrannus. Remember, Paul met there for two years, rented that place out. But here they're meeting in a, in a home, in an upper room. But why? That's the more important question. Why did they gather? It says so they could break bread. What's that? The Lord's Supper. Now, sometimes it can generically mean to share a meal together, but sometimes it means specifically communion. 
just depends on the context. And, and you know, that fellowship was important too. That's why we gather. We need fellowship with one another. In fact, we read in the, in the, the first Christians in Acts 2, uh, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayers. And day by day, attending the temple together, so they only didn't have a place to meet, temple courts, they're breaking bread in their homes, and they receive their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God, having the favor of all the people, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So what was a church service like? Fellowship, teaching, communion, prayer. You had this precedent of gathering for the Lord's Supper. In fact, Paul writes about how Jesus instituted this, and he says, For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So notice he said, as often as you do it, not as seldom as you do it, because what I've noticed is that so many churches don't have communion weekly, which was the precedent. They have it monthly or quarterly or once or twice a year. Why is that? I have no idea. There's no good reason for it. It's just their custom. And I'm thinking maybe they figure, well, the less we have it, the more special it will be. Like the Lord's Supper is very special, so let's not do it very often. But I don't see that same line of reasoning with any other part of the worship service. I never have heard a preacher say, you know, let's just have this sermon once a month. All the people might love that. But they, don't, they never say that. Let's just have the offering once a quarter. Let's just have singing once a year. No, it's the same thing. It's like, yes, it's special. So we do it every week. That's the point, is we need the Lord's Supper every week because of what it reminds us of. Now, was there singing? Acts 20, verse 7 doesn't say anything about singing, but we do see some precedent. 1 Corinthians 14, 26, Paul says, when you come together, you, know, you have a hymn. Colossians 3, 16, he talks about you can sing with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. So that may have been going on. Did they receive an offering? Oh, yeah. First Corinthians, remember, he's, he says, I'm coming down to you. I'm getting there. He says, on the first day of every week, every week, each of you is to put aside something and store it up as he may prosper so that there'll be no collecting when I come. So be doing this all the time, not just one big offering day. Not like, let's just have the offering once a quarter. No, every week. Now, was there a sermon? Yeah. I mean, Paul was talking uh, he was discussing, in Latin, it's, it's the word homily or sermon. It may not have been a monologue style like I'm doing right now. It may have been more, you know, back and forth like a class, more of um, reasoning and discussion and answering questions and explaining. But it's so important to have good preaching and teaching. That's what Jesus went around doing all the time, right? Jesus was always preaching and teaching, preaching and teaching. So teaching is vital to discipleship. In fact, Paul will later write to one of his posse, to Timothy. He says, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, which is what we're doing, right? We're reading the Scriptures together. Now, what, what would they have read back then? Well, primarily the Hebrew Scriptures, right? The Old Testament. But they also had some apostolic letters, letters by, by people like Paul. In fact, he writes to the Colossians. Remember, he was in Ephesus, right down the road, was Colossae, and he says to them, when this letter, the Colossian letter, has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans. Well, they were just right down the road too. And see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. You say, wait a minute, I don't remember there being a book of Laodiceans in the New Testament. Right, either A, we don't have it, or B, more likely, it's the book of Ephesians. Because they were all real close to each other. They're all circulating the letters, and at this point, the Laodiceans have the Ephesian letter. So he's saying, you guys all read my letters 
in services because this is scripture. And he, and he charges Timothy, he says, devote yourself to teaching, to exhorting. Second Timothy, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching. So the word of God is key to our services because it's key to our spiritual growth. And when you're on a mission, you need to be sharing the Word of God too. It's not just to be for preachers and pastors. No, you don't have to be a, behind a pulpit to share the Word of God. You do it like Paul. You teach it, you discuss, you um, answer questions, you reason, you explain. You can do all that. And that's why our main point is make disciples by baptizing and teaching them to obey. That's the great commission Jesus gave us, go into all the world, baptize them, and teach them. It's both parts of that are very important. Bring people to know Christ, help people to grow in Christ. Encourage, exhort, evangelize, all of that. And again, you don't have to be a preacher or a pastor to do that. You can go out and have your own little flock that you shepherd, your family members, some, some folks in your own community that you help come to know Christ, that you encourage them to grow in Christ by helping them to understand the scriptures, by helping them take responsibility for their own spiritual growth. You're modeling it for them. You're setting the example for them. You can do that. Now, Paul, he goes on a really long time that night. Um, up until midnight, he goes, right? Why? Because he knows it's going to be the last time he's ever going to get to talk to him. So he's going to, I'm sure he's trying to pack as much in as he possibly could. Where all the people complaining, like, come on, Paul, let's go. Come on, come on, hurry it up. Got places to go. I doubt it. They probably wanted him to go on as long as he possibly could because they were soaking it all in. They were not slaves to the clock back then like we are today. Like, hurry it up, preacher. We got to get, we got to, get to uh, McDonald's today, you know. Hurry uh. Got to beat the Baptist over to Long John Silver's. Whatever. <laughs> I'm telling you, it is a real challenge today because TV came along and completely destroyed people's attention spans. And now we got these little doohickeys really messing with people's attention span. Like, oh man, that reel is 10 seconds. I ain't got time for that. Come on. How do you keep people's attention with such short attention spans? Well, I, there is some good news. I'm, we're starting to see some people migrate back toward longer forms, like long podcasts. So maybe there's still hope for this. So how long should a sermon go? <laughs> well, it probably depends on the people and on the preacher, right? Uh, how long can they effectively endure without drifting off? Now, they've actually done polls on this, and usually it comes out between people say 20, it should be 20 to 28 minutes, right? But they actually broke it down according to different kinds of churches. Guess how long the average is in a Catholic church, how long the sermon goes, the homily? 14 minutes. Say, I'm, sign me up, right? I'm converting today. Wow, nice. In mainline Protestant churches, which tend to be the more liberal churches, um, about 25 minutes. In evangelical churches, like Bible-believing churches, 39 minutes. In black Protestant churches, 54 minutes. There you go. Now we're talking. But you see, um, I think our, our shortened attention spans, I'm not sure if it has more to do with the people or the preachers, which is why we serve lots of free coffee out there so you can stay caffeinated the whole time. 
But still, I think unless uh, you're the Apostle Paul, <laughs> you're probably doing good to keep it to 30 to 35 minutes, which is what we typically do around here. Sometimes it goes a little less. Sometimes it goes a little bit more. Just letting you know I'm going to go a little bit longer today because we've got to talk about missions at the end as well. So that's not officially my sermon. Get that. At right? the end of the, the talk, that's missions. That's not the sermon. So it doesn't count. Keep that in mind. But what we want today are very, we want exciting, dynamic, charismatic style preachers. But you know what? Paul wasn't like that. And we know that because on his journey, he writes to the Corinthians, when I came to you, brothers, I didn't come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified, and I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. Yeah, I want to hear that guy. Let's line up to hear them. Sounds like a really great speaker. No, probably not. But what he was teaching was true and good and right and important to hear. But his long talk led to some very tragic, disastrous consequences, verses 8 and 9. There were many lamps in the upper room where we were gathered, and a young man named Eutychus, sitting at the window, sank into a deep sleep as Paul talked still longer, and being overcome by sleep, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. Died right in the church service. And it's hard to blame the guy because let's face it, it's late. The oil lamps making the room all stuffy. The heat rising up to the third floor. Perfect recipe for grogginess. And this young man, and we really don't know anything about Eutychus, but I'll tell you, it's great to see young people in church. Period. Especially young men. Because young men are the hardest demographic to get to come to church. But there is a solution. You know how you get more young men to church? More young women, right? That, that'll do it. I'm not saying that's the best motivation, but it worked. When I was a young man of 18, I met my future wife at church. So, no, we don't know how old Eutychus was. He could have actually been an older child or a teenager, maybe somebody in his young 20s. But... He could have been a slave as well. Many Christians were slaves. Could have been out working all day. That's why we're there having church at night. Couldn't do it in the day. And he's weary and he's sleepy. And by the way, our, our teens just had an all-nighter Friday night. Up all night. And I was going to say, uh, the teens are doing great, but the adults are just miserable. They're still very sleepy. But as, as I've gone around and talked to some teens today, they're just as miserable too. They're still sleepy from the whole thing. But these guys were, were super tired, and he's got to sit by a window to stay awake, uh, get some fresh air. So, but it's still understandable. Even, even with the great Apostle Paul, it's understandable he might fall asleep. But he not only falls asleep, he falls out the window. Luke is a doctor. He, yeah, yeah, nothing I can do. He did. Uh, which is kind of a great way to go. I mean, if you're going to die, you want to go quick, and why not in church? Like, phew, you know, right up, you're good. What better place? But I, I, don't think, I don't think he was bored to death. Uh, that wasn't what's going on here. Now the disciples, remember when they were with Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane? And he goes off to pray and they fall asleep three times on him. Jesus comes back and admonishes them for that. So let's not be too hard on Eutychus. At least he was there for the service. It's great to show up even when you're tired. Let's face it, some of us, we, we're out late Saturday night, we're recreating or whatever, and then we don't feel like getting up Sunday morning, and I'm too sleepy to go to church. And, or you've been working a hard shift, maybe working all night shift. But I love to see when people still come to church in spite of all that. Oh, you got a couple hours sleep, but I'm here. 
I've been working all night. I came to church in my work clothes. Wonderful. Great. Just glad that you're here. I think we need to make gathering together a priority regardless of our feelings. And if you fall asleep, we'll overlook it. It's okay. Um, just make sure you don't you know, fall asleep on your neighbor. Let's, just, let's keep, keep in our own little space here. But it's so important that we get together because even back then, people were starting to skip out on church. You've read this passage, Hebrews 10, 24, 25. Let's consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near, the day of Christ's return. Come on, this is too important. But look, you look at this, it's not a very motivating story because Eutychus shows up for church, and what's his reward? Dead. Like, seriously? That's what I get for going to church. Is this some kind of punishment from God for falling asleep? No, I don't think so at all. Um, look, just because you're a Christian doesn't mean you're going to be spared from bad things happening. We live in a fallen world. We're not spared from adversity, suffering, and even death. Yes, at church. Verse 10. But Paul went down. So Paul interrupts his sermon. <laughs> Good for him. And he bends over him and taking him in his arms said... Do not be alarmed, for his life is in him. So, it's a huge miracle. And yet it's just so very understated, very matter of, matter of fact. No, he's fine. He's good. Let's go back and have church. <laughs> Which is what they do. But this is a big deal. Because the point is here that, um, well, let's put it on the screen. The main point is don't fall asleep in church because if you die, ain't nobody here to resurrect you. No, that's not, that's, not our, that's not our main point. But if you, already, if you looked at your Sunday summary sheet, that's what's in there today, which is funny because that was a joke. But the person typing all that out thought that was the real main point, which I guess she knows that's just how I roll. And she's like, well, must, must be what Brett wants. No, that's a joke. It's not the real main point. But this is important because... It showed that Paul really was an apostle capable of doing the ultimate miracle, raising people from the dead, like Jesus did, like the Old Testament prophets, Elijah and Elisha did. Remember, the, the sign of an apostle was miracles, signs, and wonders. Paul, his word is scripture. His words are authoritative. That's important because you've got to know, even today, there are some Christians, so-called, who say, we don't have to listen to Paul. We would call them red-letter Christians. They say, we've got to listen to Jesus, whatever he said. And his words in some Bibles are, are in red ink. So the red letter, listen to Jesus. What did Jesus say about that? Well, let's look. What did Paul say about that? Well, we don't, it doesn't matter. Don't, we don't care. No, Paul's word is just as authoritative as Jesus. The word of Paul is the word of Christ because he is an inspired apostle, proven, credentialed by miracle signs and wonders. Here's the real main point. Make disciples by baptizing them and teaching them to obey. To obey what? Scripture. All of it. Verses 11 and 12. And when Paul had gone up and had broken bread and eaten, he conversed with them a long while until daybreak and so departed. And they took the youth away alive and were not a little comforted. Uh, so Paul says, let's go back and have church. <laughs> and they have communion which is really a great object lesson what is the meaning of communion it's about the death and resurrection of Christ and here's this young man he was just dead now he's alive boom I mean doesn't get any better than that 
That's what this is all about. They keep preaching till the sun rises, then he departs, and we get into some more fun geography. Verses 13 to 16, but going ahead to the ship, we set sail for Assos, intending to take Paul aboard there, for so he had arranged, intending himself to go by land. And when he met us at Assos, we took him on board and went to Mytilene. And sailing from there, we came the following day opposite Chios. And the next day, we touched at Samos. The day after that, we went to Miletus, for Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus so that he might not have to spend time in Asia, for he was hastening to be at Jerusalem, if possible, on the day of Pentecost. So um, some are going by sea, some are going by land. They, they rendezvous at Asos. So let's get the map back up there again so you can see all these different towns. So again, they've, they've sailed across the sea on the left there from Philippi over to Troas. Now they're going south, uh, Asos, Mytilene, Chios, Samos, Miletus. He says, we've got to skip Ephesus. We don't got time if we're going to make it to Jerusalem by the day of Pentecost. But we're going to see next week the, the elders in, in Ephesus say, hold on there, Paul. Hold, hold your horses. You ain't getting away that easy. They travel down to meet with him for a final farewell. We'll get into that next week. But this is all part of our mission. We're all on mission. And who is your one? Remember the shepherd who leaves the 99 to go find the one that's lost? One more for Jesus. Who's your one? We're writing the names of family and friends on those ping pong balls in the lobby. We're putting them in that big arrow. We would love to see that arrow filled up by Easter with all the names of people that we would like to see come to faith in Christ or at least to come to church for Easter services, which is coming up quick, March 31, six weeks. And we want to finish up highlighting our different missions that we support. Um, We've broken them down into three categories, church planning. We've talked about this the best way to reach new people with new churches and new places. We've talked about compassion outreach, of meeting physical and material needs of people all over the world with the hope of directing them to Jesus as Savior. And then third, we'll talk about now, global evangelism, all other ways of sending out ministers and missionaries around the world with the good news, and we want to financially support them, right? So let me talk about couple of them today. The first are the Harveys. Brad and Tammy Harvey are missionaries in Africa. Brad, I've known since elementary school. He was the first person I led to Christ. And now he is a language specialist who puts the Bible into the languages of people who don't have a Bible. Incredible work, uh, but dangerous as well because he's in an area where he cannot speak publicly about the actual people group he's trying to reach because, you know, it, it might not end well for him. So they put together a video to catch us up on the past year with the Harveys. Hi, we're Brad and Tammy Harvey serving in Central East Africa with Heartful Central Africa. We reside in Karen, a suburb of Nairobi, Kenya. We've been living here even after the kids finished high school for me to complete a PhD in intercultural studies that I started working towards while the kids were in school. But we've also gotten involved with the local church ministry. I've led some ladies' Bible studies and joined the pre-counseling team, and we're part of a church home group that meets every couple of weeks. I've also been a part of the men's prayer breakfast on Tuesday mornings, and I serve on the missions team. But of course, I work primarily in Tanzania, working daily on the Omares Language Bible Translation Project, a language of about one million speakers in and around the capital of Dar es Salaam. 95% of Omares speakers follow Islam, but more and more are opening up to Christianity since we started showing the Jesus film in their language and since the entire Omares New Testament was published a few years ago. 
The Omaras team and I are currently working on the Book of Psalms, preparing major portions of it for a consultant check, the final stage before something is approved for publication. I will travel to Tanzania in February for the consultation of Psalms 42 to 75, then we hope to finish consultant checking the remaining Psalms before the end of this year. The translators have already begun drafting Numbers and they've finished drafting Leviticus. I'm also training to be a translation consultant myself so that I can help ensure the quality and accuracy of other translations in East Africa. Near the end of March, I'll travel to the Lake Victoria area of Northwest Tanzania to consult and check four chapters in the book of Acts in a language I've never worked in before while being supervised by a senior translation consultant. I have to complete one or two other supervised consultations later in the year, as well as a refresher course in Greek, then I should be certified as a translation consultant. 2023 was a stressful year with lots of ups and downs. We returned to the U.S. in April for our daughter's wedding in May in Salem Springs, Arkansas, where we own a house. After recovering from COVID contracted during our trip home, I helped with a lot of the preparations and decorations, including wedding dress alterations, the bride's bouquet, table decorations, the desserts, including making the wedding cake. Brad took direction in May the arches and performed the ceremony. Then we spent the summer updating and repairing our house in order to rent it out in the fall when we had planned to return to Africa. But in August, while reporting to my home church in Indianapolis, I encouraged my mom to see the doctor after she'd been sick for about three weeks. The short version is that after the appointment, they admitted her to the hospital, diagnosed her with liver cancer, and she never recovered, passing away in the hospital in mid-September. Then we spent about two months helping to deal with her affairs and cleaning out her house. Fortunately, my brother lives near Indianapolis and is the executor of the will, so he is continuing to deal with affairs like selling the house. This delayed our return to Africa until November. I stayed with my mom in Poto, Oklahoma, about two hours away, where I took over their garage to finish sorting our storage items and finalize the purchases and packing for our return. There is a Swahili word that we like to describe this past year when nothing much seems to go according to plan. It is Fujo. Google Translator says it means a mess, but it's a mess due to the chaos of unexpected circumstances, which usually happens a lot more in Africa than it does in the U.S. It began in January for me with the loss of my very close cousin who was less than a year older than me. I made a quick trip to the U.S. for the funeral and then, understandably, had a hard time focusing on writing papers when I returned. Plus, had to deal with a computer crash. Then, COVID in April during our return trip to the U.S. The joy and frustrations of planning a wedding according to the bride's desires. Additional unexpected and expensive repairs to our house in preparation for renting. Then the illness and death of Brad's mom just as we were to return, which also meant I missed a critical semester of Ph.D. seminars. The final ones needed before the research phase. Then when we tried to board the plane in November, I was denied boarding because my passport did not have enough time left on it due to postponing our departure by two months, even though I already have a five-year visa for Kenya. Tammy was already delayed because her visa hadn't arrived in time, as her student visa had also expired while we were gone, but her visa came through and she left for Kenya while I applied for a new passport and rented a car one way and returned to Northwest Arkansas to wait and do more outdoor repairs on the house. The new expedited passport came pretty quickly the end of December, but then I had trouble getting online to order a single entry visa on my new passport. My online e-visa was issued just six hours before my plane departed in mid-January. My travel to Kenya went smoothly after that. So now what? Since I missed a critical semester to complete my PhD seminars and the university here in Nairobi is on a two-year seminar cycle, Brad encouraged me to see if there was an online program. 
I found one at Columbia International University, and I am in the process of applying to transfer to their program. But I also feel like I need to move on in ministry. So, at the same time, I've contacted Livingstone International University in Uganda to see if they can use me in spite of not yet having the Ph.D., I will be traveling to Uganda on the overnight bus the end of this month to meet with the leadership team at the university to explore where my skills might be of the most benefit. The plan is to move our residents to Uganda by the end of the summer in order for me to be able to join the staff at LIU for the new academic year that begins the end of August. My ministry requires a lot of travel, especially as I transition into doing more consulting with other teams. So we will live wherever Tammy's gifts can be of the most benefit in East Africa. Prayers are appreciated for all the logistics. Tammy's overnight bus trips coming up, my travels to Tanzania the end of this month, as well as there has been major flooding in Tanzania, washing out some of the roads. The residency paper for Uganda, and finally the move to Uganda in June or July. We'll also need to find a house or apartment and buy a car in Uganda. Our current plan is for this term of service to last about two and a half years. Then we'll return to the U.S. around May 2026 to attend Maury's graduation from Doctor of Physical Therapy School at University of Arkansas in Fayetteville. We're very thankful that all three of our kids and son-in-law are actively pursuing careers. Maury's husband is working on a Ph.D. in chemistry, also at the University of Arkansas. Yuda is driving security vehicles, and Bradley Jr. is doing partnership development to join Pioneer Bible Translators media team. We appreciate so much your continued support, and especially covet your prayers. <laughs> Be ready for anything, <laughs> right? We don't have to deal with a lot of that stuff like they do. But Brad and Tammy are incredible people doing incredible work. We also support His House Christian Fellowship, which is really sending out people all over the world because the world comes to us on these 13 different Michigan University campuses. So uh, His House just recently had their winter retreat. Uh, last year, they baptized 45 students. Four of them were international students. And their mission is to train up uh, followers of Christ who are able to train up and do the same for others. And you know, if you've lived on a campus like that, it can be difficult to live in an environment that can be hostile to your faith. So they offer weekly services, small groups, mission trips, retreats. Uh, a brand new campus was opened, uh, at a ministry at Oakland University, and uh, 127 different students went out to eight different states to help with relief projects, you know, floods, hurricanes, refugee outreach, and more. So all the money that's given for missions, 15% uh, of it, is going to go to the Harveys. 10% of it's going to go to his house. Uh, but we're also going to be giving 5% to special appeals, which is just to have some money on hand for anything important or urgent that comes up. We're also going to give 5% to South Point scholarships for those who want to go off to Christian colleges, especially to study for some kind of Christian service or ministry. So what you give not today. Today everything goes to South Point, our typical stuff. But starting tomorrow through next Sunday, every dollar is going to go to support these missions for the entire year. That's why we're asking you to be as generous as you possibly can, to give more than you, than you typically do. Uh, I want us to be very strong in supporting God's work around the world. You know, as Paul was traveling down to go south into Corinth, uh, he said, hey, I'm coming there. So I want you to give and be generous to this special offering I'm taking up. Just like the churches were up in the north of Macedonia, you guys down south. He says, hey, those churches in Macedonia, they were joyfully giving in spite of their poverty. He says, they're begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the, re the relief of the saints over in Jerusalem. 
And this, not as we expected, they actually gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. So he's using other churches to motivate the others, to spur them on. Hey, let's all be generous like those guys are. Uh, they were ready to give. You be ready to give too. Now, it, it wasn't about something they had to do by law. Again, we're not under the Sabbath, the Old Testament law. We're not under the tithe. That's not law for us. Uh, in fact, the New Testament standard is about generosity. And frankly, some of us can give a lot more than 10%. We really could. Others maybe couldn't. They couldn't give very much or anything at all because they're the ones that are in poverty. They're the ones in genuine need, and that's what we're, we're here to help with, right? That's why we have a care fund at our church. That's why we do community meals. That's why we do the food pantry every week. We want to help. Just like 2 Corinthians, Paul says, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one of us must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And hey, he's able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. God's going to take care of you. And listen, the most important need of all, the ultimate need is the need to know Christ. And we want, we want to not only help our brothers and sisters with their needs, but we want to reach people who need to become our brothers and sisters with the greatest need of all. We've got to be careful to use the money God has entrusted to us to advance his kingdom and not to squander it all on ourselves. Let's be generous in the cause of Christ. Maybe you're somebody who needs Christ. That's why we do this every week. We're here to make disciples. We're here to offer you the invitation to receive Christ. If you've never done that, do that today. Come up at the end of this message when the music is playing or after the service is over. I've got some friends up here who would love to spend some time answer your questions, explaining, discussing, reasoning, helping you to make the best decision ever. Maybe get baptized into Christ right now today. And we'll celebrate that next Sunday. Maybe it's to rededicate your life to Christ or become a member of the church or you just need some prayer. If you're online watching, be sure to, to text us or email us. We would love to get back to you as soon as we possibly can. Remember, God loves you and he made you, but our sin separates us from him. Jesus died and rose to redeem you and reconcile us to God. Those are your three facts. Three responses are through faith, with repentance, in baptism. And you'll receive three promises. Forgiveness of sins, eternal life, and the gift of the Holy Spirit. Make that decision now. Let's pray together. Lord, we're praying that decisions will be made that will affect people's lives forever. That will change the course of their destiny, God. I pray that they'll, they'll overcome any fear, any anxiety, and decide to follow Jesus from here on out. We pray for all of our family members and friends, all the names that we're writing on those ping pong balls, Lord, that they will come to faith especially through our, our witness, that they'll come to church. But not only here, Lord, we pray for around the world that many will come to faith through the missions that we support, like the Harveys in Africa and uh, His House all over Michigan. God, that they'll send out students all over the world to lead others to Jesus. We pray for this offering starting tomorrow to be very generous, to be very big, to supply those needs, God. And help us to be like the early church, not only in our generosity, but in the way we, we gather. We make it a priority. We share in communion. We share in the word. We're, we're dedicated to fellowship and being your people. We pray that all in Jesus' name.